Hello, everybody. Welcome to the world on a hill. We are the lanky guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Musset. And today's episode is brought to you by Doritos. Scott, I realized something. That I eat terribly whenever I come to your house. Mm-hmm. And B, we used to, we used to like, dude, I was thinking about it like three years ago. Remember how we used to like talk about the gourmet nature of the beautiful coffee that we would drink? And yeah, we never make coffee anymore. I know. I miss and, coffee. And we used to like. It's because we have a coffee shop in my office. <laughs> in your office, yeah. No, that's exactly it. It's like, why make coffee here when we can do it there? Which means that our, our coffee needs of being satisfied. We've resorted to Doritos, trolley, sour bright crawlers, and Red Bull. Like, yeah, that's like true. literally, I think we've descended into some other place. I'm not happy about it. Are you not happy about it? No. No, I'm not. I do it, but I'm not happy about it. Why do I do the things that I do not want to do? <laughs> and I do the things that I do want to do. I do not do, do the things that I do want to do. And then to do and and then you know what they say after that, do what can do. I can't imagine there was anything good in the uh, jalapeno cheddar hot dogs we had either. <laughs> Dude, I actually oh, actually this morning is as, as I was waking up, I was actually trying to imagine the factory machine that creates the jalapeno oh, cheese don't. hot dogs. Okay, okay, all right. I really was. I was like, I was like, I wonder how they make these. And you never cause... want to picture how they make hot dogs. Just, that's just a given. That's like, th- I mean, that's the analogy of all time. Like, that's a sausage factory. You don't know how this stuff is made. It's like law. The two things you never want to see being made are sausage and law. I've always been told. Oh, dude. Well, so there you go. So there you go. So our first reading is from uh, Deuteronomy <laughs> Wait, today. Stop it! It is the second. No, that was right? a joke. That was the second law. Oh, Deuteronomy. Oh, oh. I see what. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was I a stretch. Was, yeah. It was a stretch. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, this is what we call Bible yoga. Oh, uh, see, dude. oh my gosh, dude! I'm taking it to the next level today. You were dude. so Just... funny before I hit record. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you were so smart before oh, we you hit record. We're mean today on the podcast. Today is brought to you by the letter M for mean. Let's stop being mean. Let's be loving. They'll, they will know we are Christians by, by our love, by our love, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. All right, it is the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. Teresa. Trace is not a word. Also, also, if it was uh, not a solemnity, it'd be the day of St. Francis de Sales. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, oh, well, who, that's cool. Whose introduction to devout life, like, if that's an introduction, it's it's like the Summa's an introduction to theology, like this is the introduction well, to the devout life. I'm like, then I, I'm not even in an introductory level. Or Ratzinger's introduction to Christianity. Have you ever read that? Uh-uh. Also not an introduction. <laughs> like, like what, People should stop using that term. Dude, I think we need to write the most complicated scriptural analysis that we can and just call it an introduction. Introduction to scriptural analysis. By the lanky guys. Our first reading this third Sunday of Ordinary Time is coming from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 2 through 4a, 5 through 6, 8 through 10. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 19, Mm. verses 8, 9, Mm. 10, and 15. And oddly enough, the response is coming from John. 663. John 663. Yeah. yeah. I was just affirming. Thank you. You. I assume you don't listen to me. I assume, so I assume you don't you listen to me. I do listen to you. I listen to you. No, remember, we're not being mean anymore. We're not being mean. We're it's just being honest. It's all these Doritos and hot dogs and Red Bull floating around <laughs> inside of us. It's Dude, literally, it's I feel- It's weird. What, what you are, what you eat. Dude, we this- are disgusting. This podcast is brought to you by 7-Eleven. We gotta stop. We've gotta eat healthier on this podcast. I can't- Okay. I feel dirty right now. 
that's it, it's because you know what it is. Talk to me. I overindulge. Dude, it's that's not what, like having <laughs> some of those things once in a while. It's that whenever I get my hands on them. <laughs> I go, I go crazy. You could, you could. I totally. go insane. No, like literally it's last week, okay. I made a joke that Scott Powell. Um, it's not okay. He ate literally half a bag of. It's really bad. Of trolley bright sour bright crackers. I don't eat them often, but when I do, you go all I the go way, big, and it's not good. Okay, uh, our our second reading is coming from, the, and I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> our second reading is from the book of First Corinthians, chapter twelve, verses thirteen through thirty. No, 12, 12 through 30. 30. That's a lot of verses. Yeah, dude. That's it's a, a long one. And then there's a shorter form, which, <laughs> which is like, like two verse. verses. <laughs> it's like literally maybe three. Oh, that's absurd. Yeah, that's really... And yeah, yeah so yeah. then our gospel is from Luke, mm. the very beginning. Sort of. Luke 1, 1 through 4. And then we jump to 4, 14 <laughs> to 21, it's baby. A, it's a big jump. Dude, I don't understand. I literally, like, I just don't understand. I think, I think I do. We'll talk about that soon, dude. That's, I, that's why I like you. Well, I've been thinking about it. I um, I I was like studying up on this, and I was like, I mean, I can like. I bet Scott has an insight. <laughs> no, is, is that not what you were thinking? No, that was not what <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> oh, okay. But but uh, since we're on Scott having insights, why don't we jump to Nehemiah? I I love Nehemiah. Dude. I really do. Ezra and Nehemiah are are wonderful books that just don't get enough attention. Most people just kick them in the shins. Ezra and ne- Nehemiah. Nehemiah. See, they're just stretching. Dude, maybe everybody. Maybe it's the Red Bull floating around in me. I'm just not. Dude, not, Red Bull should make Med, Red Bull should make you laugh more. More receptive to your jokes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, all the coffee I had this morning offset it. Yeah, whatever. It's hard to say. I've been traveling too. Anyway, Nehemiah, Ezra, and Nehemiah, oh man, there's there's so much we could say about Ezra and Nehemiah. Talk I to feel me. like we should say something just because it's it's a book that so few people are actually familiar with. Yeah. Okay, so qu- a couple quick things about Ezra and Nehemiah. They are really for well, for all intents and purposes, they are some of the last of what we call the narrative books. So if you were to study in the Old Testament what we call the narrative story of the so the Bible's not written linearly, right? Right. It's not you know, so so many people, you know, just want to pick up the Bible and just read it cover to cover and and, and that's good. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a fine thing to do. But that's really not how it's written or meant to be read because there's all of these uh so many books are just recapitulations of other books or, you know, a, a different ordering or a, a retelling of something else that's already been told in a different way, like the or, Psalms. Or sometimes there is zoom in or yeah, sometimes or, yeah, there, exactly. and so or sometimes there are like a book of law that you would find within a particular period. Right. Or a particular narrative that you would find within another thing. Exactly. Sort of like and to to give an example of what we mean, sort of like the you know, we have four different gospels, all of which are telling the exact same story about the birth, life, ministry, passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but all four of them are telling it from a slightly different point of view, and they're all equally valid and equally important, right? So, um, but to read them all straight, all four Gospels straight through, I think would kind of be annoying, because you're like, well, uh, you know, it, it, we need to know them, we need to read them, but it's not as linear as our kind of Western minds think about it. Right. So all that being said is there is a, a sort of narrative structure, though, there, and there's, you know, lots of the, the Great Adventure Bible Study does this. Focus, I know, has a reading plan. There's lots of different things that you could go to find what are called the narrative books, which are kind of jumping around a little bit, but give you which, the big story, yeah, the narrative Don't plan. underestimate. I mean, for if anybody really wants to, like, dig in and mm-hmm. get the big picture, the Great Bible Adventure. The Great Adventure. The Great Adventure. You guys literally, it'll change your life if you guys 
um, are excited to l- go through the full narrative, yeah. the the narrative books of the scriptures. Because when you try to read it kind of cover to cover, I think that's the way that people get lost. Yeah. And they're like, wait a second, I thought I read this, but I'm confused now. So, you know, First and Second Chronicles is just retelling the story of First and Second Kings yep. from somebody else's point of view. Anyway, so that being said, Ezra and Nehemiah begin to close out the narrative story. So it gives us the conclusion. So if you remember the story, you got Israel, God builds up this nation, builds this kingdom, there's a civil war, it splits in half, both halves go into exile, the south goes to Babylon, and uh, Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of their release from captivity. Hold on, don't the north the north go to Babylon? Assyria. Oh, they go to Assyria. The nor- well, they're mainly obliterated and then intermarried with other nations. Yep. Um, few that, of them are actually wh- taken to Assyria. That's where we get the muggles from. I don't know your nerd reference. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that Harry I, Potter? Yes. Okay. No, no, I was actually <laughs> going to say the Samaritans. Oh, okay. That was that was my... Gosh, you didn't get my... You don't, I don't get me. I don't know Harry Potter very well. Or you're... I, I just... I'm not astute in the... In those things. Dude. Sorry, it's... I, woods, woodsy stories I don't like. So... <laughs> woods... <laughs> like Willow and... Oh, and, Willow. Did you yeah. just drop Willow on me, dude? <laughs> I never I never liked those kind of stories. Anyway. Anyway, um, so that's so that's gonna d- get a lot of angry yeah, fan mail. Yeah, yeah. Willow, Sorry. dude. People are like, Did you really bring up Willow on the podcast? I can't believe I was, you did that. I was really hesitant to watch The Lord of the Rings and read it because I was like, Oh, it's woodsy and gnomy and I don't like and fairial. woodsy troby tro- trolly ferial things. Anyway, <laughs> Lord of the Rings is really good. Okay. Anyway, so so t- t- ten tribes obliterated, <laughs> the other ones southern tribes in uh yeah. into Babylon. So Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of their, their coming back, okay. basically, coming back home. I, I, I say for all intents and purposes the story because you have Maccabees, which kind of continues the story. Yeah. But Ezra and Nehemiah really show what, what God is doing. And uh, originally, I, I keep talking about them together. Originally, in some of the oldest manuscripts, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. Okay. And even in the, I think it's in the, in the Latin Vulgate, they're, they're called first and second Esdras. Um, so th- there's different versions, but oh, yeah, th- yeah. really they're they're one story. So we have them in two different books in our Bibles, most of our Bibles, but but it's one narrative. Ezra and Nehemiah are two of the leaders. So if you recall, um, there were three waves of the exile. Okay. So when Babylon came in to conquer Jerusalem, they took people in three waves. So the first wave was all the kind of, this was their immigration strategy. They came in, they took the elite, they took the leaders, people who were skilled, they took them off and put them to work. They, would, they, they would have taken you off. They would have taken me. You better believe it. Yep. No, they wouldn't. They would have let me been, for a second wave. Oh, I would have been tossed into an outhouse. They would, But they took the, the elites. <laughs> then they came back and they took kind of the workers, other people that were useful to them. Then they came back and either killed killed everybody who was left or took them off and just made them slaves. So it was these three waves. Similarly, there's three waves of the return. Oh. So the first wave was led by a guy named Zerubbabel, who was in the, the lineage of David. Which is, he wasn't a on. king, but he was royal. I really want people to start naming their kids Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Come here, Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel led the first one. Ezra led the second one. He was a priest and a scribe. So he was sort of the spiritual leader of the time. And then the third wave was led by Nehemiah, who became a governor of Jerusalem. He was the cupbearer up in uh, up in Babylon. Didn't but he, he was didn't the he work on the leader. yeah? And he worked on the wall, right? Yeah, exactly. So the the way to look at it is that. Ezra built up the people spiritually, and Nehemiah built them up physically, like literally the city. And actually, the book of Nehemiah itself, you can divide pretty evenly into two parts. The first seven chapters of Nehemiah are literally about the story of the building up the walls of Jerusalem. 
the last chapters, I think eight through 13 or seven through 13 are about building the people up spiritually. And really Ezra and Nehemiah work in conjunction with each other, the spiritual leader and the political leader. And they build up the physical city and then they build up the spiritual, spiritual nature of the people. Um, your function, conjunction, junction. Well played, Father Peter. But but here's what's interesting. I, I think this is... A, so that's the background I think we need to make some sense out of this. Does, yeah. Is that too much? Does that make sense? Yeah. So so here's what, what it says. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it begins by saying, Ezra the priest, so we already saw him, he brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men and women and children, old enough to understand. They stood at the uh, at one end of the open place that was before the water gate. So they, they've rebuilt the temple, or they're at least in the process of rebuilding the temple. If you remember, mm-hmm. this is that, that sad story where they rebuild the temple and all the older people all weep with sorrow because they're like, this doesn't even come close to comparing to the old temple. This is this is nothing. This is so pathetic compared to what we used to have. And it's great that we're back, but geez, it's so sad. It's, so, it's, it's a lot of it's how a lot of modern Catholics feel when they um, when they build their parishes because they're looking around and they're like, dude, we could have these aren't medieval the great cathedrals of old. Yeah. 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 And and medieval Rome and then we get, you know, a fan shaped church. I knew a, a bishop once and I won't say his name, but in the diocese where I worked with him, he once said he's like, Well, if everything gets really bad, we can sell half the parishes back to Pizza Hut and they won't have to do any renovations whatsoever. <laughs> so anyway. Oh yeah. That was his commentary on church architecture. Anyway. Anyway, so Ezra the, Ezra is like so they're looking at the temple and it's it's like it's it's messed up. Yeah. It's, but then they find the books of law. Yeah, and, and so what they're doing is they, they, so basically this is believed to probably be the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, so they're gathered together on this feast. And and Ezra gets on his soapbox. And Ezra gets on his soapbox and, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they both kind of get up there. Really what they do throughout the book of Nehemiah, it happens a couple times, they, they give prayers for the people. There is a communal confession of sin. And, and it's, this, uh, it's actually kind of beautiful. I, I think that's back in Nehemiah chapter 1 or 2. But they get up and they basically communally confess the sin of corporate Israel. Is, and that's, that's where we get the Kol Nidra. What's that? The song of uh, Yom Kippur. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, which comes before that, but they're they're reiterating it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there was a moment. I, I don't know if you remember this. Remember when John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, uh-huh. um, gave a a, a a corporate confession of the sins of the church throughout all of history. Oh yeah. And he got a he, he got a lot of flack for it. People were like, "Well, you can't confess the sins of people who came before you and all this stuff." And and you know you're a bleeding heart liberal kind of. He got a lot of criticism for all of these things. Yeah. But he was and actually it was uh, it was Joseph Ratzinger who convinced him to do it. He's like, look, this is the tradition of the people of God, of corporately confessing the sins of our people and taking that on, saying, okay, this is what we've done. Let's move forward now. It's, very, it's actually very beautiful because what it does, we have a tendency, and the reason this is important for, for me, we have a tendency, especially being Catholics now in this time, in this place, it's really tempting to always have the kind of us and them mentality. Like, at least we're not like those people out there, and those terrible Catholics who did those things, and look at those people over there, and at least I'm not one of these liberal cafeteria Catholics or this kind of a Catholic or that thing, instead of saying, man, we have a really messed up family and I'm a part of it. 
Right. And this is my family, for better or for worse. And right. we have sinned, and we have strayed from the truth, and we have rejected our Lord, and we have fallen we short. We have in all sinned. These we are ungovernable. Oh, that's the saddest song ever, dude. Um, that's a that's a, if you guys are looking for a, a '60s psychedelic version of the Kol Nidra, then you can um, go to the Electric Prunes album, the release of an oath. And like, dude, the breakbeats on that are freaking amazing. Oh my! But yeah, it's yeah. it's it's definitely worth it. That that's what they're doing, and they're standing up, and and the way that they're doing it, at least by chapter eight, is reading the law and saying, look, and it's it's actually a beautiful moment because it's Israel realizing, really for the first time in her history, how we got here, because you read throughout the whole Old Testament, and there's all of these times in which, I mean, the whole Old Testament is Israel falling into the same old sins. They're always falling into idolatry. They're always falling into worshiping other things over God. One of the things you see after the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, after the return from the exile, Mm -hmm. you don't see idolatry in Judaism again. You really don't. I mean, you know, there's probably scattering things here and there, but you don't see that. There's plenty of sin still. Yeah. That one's gone. That one's done. And you really get the sense that Israel has sort of learned her lesson. Mm. And you don't see that show up in Scripture again. So you have all of the people of God, they're reading the law. And the more they read the law to the people who are all gathered there, having come home, the more they're realizing, oh, geez, this is... Number one, we see how we got here, which is good news. But number two, we don't know how we can do this. This right. is, And, and uh, it kind of ends... Um, with them with them weeping and lamenting. They're prostrating themselves. Um, it says Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God, interpreting it to all of them so they can understand what was read. And then Nehemiah, that is his excellency, and Ezra, Ezra, Ezra the priest scribe, and all the Levites who were instructing the people said to the people, today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad. Do not weep. Go for all eat the, cookies. <laughs> yes. And drink some Red Bull. For all the eat people, Doritos. For all the people who are weeping as they heard the words of the law. They're weeping because they're like, we can't do this. We see our parents yeah. couldn't do it. Our leaders couldn't do it. The priests couldn't do it. Nobody can do this. How can we do it? And they're seeing, I, I imagine, I'm just wondering what they're hearing. They're like, okay, we're back. What do we do? I don't know if we can do this again. We've seen it destroyed our whole nation. Now we're back. And in response, Ezra and Nehemiah say, no, this is a, like you said, let's eat. Sorry, I didn't mean to write off your joke. But they basically say, let's celebrate. Let's no, celebrate. this is a day of celebration. To- well, 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 this is the thing that he's doing is he's saying, okay, um, a problem in our culture is we live in for the weekend. <clears throat> yeah. Is it basically I'm working until finally I can like get to the weekend and then I'm like, yeah, let's cut loose. Let's eat Doritos and Red Bull all day long versus, um, versus actually the Sabbath is, stands at the head of the week. Yeah. And the, the Sabbath life is where you actually reorient and understand the purpose of your life. So what Ezra and Nehemiah are doing in this moment are saying, no, what we're going to do is we're going to start Sabbath-wise and yeah. realize that we're made for worship, we're made for love of God, and that actually if we reorient our hearts into the Sabbath life, then we can actually do the work, not we're going to like do this work and then we can Sabbath because we're so tired. No, yeah. we're going to start in the proper ordering. Y- yes, that that's absolutely true. That's 100% true. You but have the tone to... in your voice that says, that's true, but I'm going to not agree with you. No, I agree with you 100%. I want to reiterate why that's so important that they say that. Oh, which, okay. Here's the people weeping. They're in fear. They don't know if they can do it. And just to um, confirm their fears, I guess, 
This is going to enter that the people of Israel into basically 200 years of silence from God. So, I mean, you read through the Bible, you read through this narrative story that we talked about, and God is constantly speaking to his people. He's sending prophets. He's, he's trying to get them to turn. He's comforting. Even during this period, you have the prophet Haggai. You have prophets coming and trying to build the people back up and show them what they're meant to be, to comfort them. But after this time, after, after the book of Nehemiah, Literally, we got 200 years where God does not speak again. Even the, the book of Maccabees, you know, which is much later than this, yeah. there's no prophecy in the book of Maccabees. It's a story about what some faithful Jews are doing. God yeah. is silent. So you get their fear of, of like, well, geez, I don't know if I can do this. The fear is sort of rightly placed because although they don't know it, God is going to hide his face in a certain sense for 200 years until Jesus Christ shows up, until he's born in humility and things begin to, springtime comes back. Right. But that, there's a lot of weight to that fact. Again, if we're thinking about the biblical narrative and just how this works, it's, I, I don't know, I'm always struck by that fact. That yeah. it, it, You know, some of you have probably seen, we talked about the Great Adventure thing by Jeff Cavins. There's this great cool tool called the Bible Timeline, which is this little fold out, literally a timeline. And if you find Ezra and Nehemiah on there, there's this long, blank, empty period between Ezra and Nehemiah and then Jesus' birth. Mm-hmm. And we underestimate that because that's a weird period in Israel's history. God is just silent. So they're right to be afraid. They're right. Ezra and Nehemiah are right to build them up and say, look, we need strength. We need um, to be built up for this journey because it's actually not going to be easy. We're back home. It's good. God has released us. He's, he's shown his face to us. He's building us back up. But he's building us back up because it's going to be a hard couple of centuries. Mm. And I think that actually, weirdly enough, is a good segue into the psalm. Sterling engine to the psalm. What? The segue is powered by a Sterling engine, which is an alternation of hot and cold that allows it to be run at low levels of power in a phenomenally efficient way. I wish I had a segue. I, I wish I had a head with it. I wish I had a baller. I wish I was taller. I wish I had a, something in the collar. You, you did that so poorly. Um, you're poorly. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean, but you keep. Dude, you, we had a Nick's. We things. had a Nick's on mean stuff. Today. I know you're right, and I blew it. I'm sorry, Father Peter. Well, love I, you. I love you. You're my friend. You're my friend too. All right. So you got the Psalm the, 19. You got the actual responsorial from John, which is your words, Lord, your spirit, and life. Now, again, this is Eucharistic. This is, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's from but, 663, baby. Yeah, absolutely it it's is. It's not 666, thankfully. Ah, ha, ha. Ha, ha. That's true. They are Eucharistic in their context, um, in which is appropriate. Context. But again, if you put them in the context of the first reading, I mean, what what, what are they being... They're, they're being given this kind of food for a very long journey. They're being given God's words, which are spirit in life. This is what you need to sustain mm-hmm. you because it's going to be dark for a long time. And it's going to look, this is, this is why it's right after this point that the Pharisee, the Pharisaic movement is born. The Zealots are born. The Sadducees are born. The Essenes are born. All of these different sort of political religious groups trying to grapple with the fact that, wait a second, why hasn't God rescued us yet? Right. What do we do about that? Oh, let's pile more laws on. Oh, let's go out to the desert and live in this way. Let's take up arms and fight the Romans. Let the, all these different strategies of how do we reconcile the fact that God just has sort of left us here? Well, the Psalms are answering, no, your words are spirit and life. 
it they remind, will sustain you. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Lembus bread in Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> in this way, because Lembus bread, now in the movies, very little different, and the and the books, um, Lembus bread had to be contained in the elven wrappings in which they were contained, and then they would stay forever. You're an elven wrapping. And so what happens, though, is that, is that we're, actually these words are meant to remain in context. Yeah. And and so all of these folks, I mean, the, the danger is to take it and say, like, no, I can figure this out, and I can do it myself i'm going to create a party i'm going to like move it rather than actually just encountering in the poverty of saying like the where is the lord's face i'm going to allow myself to be poor in relationship to this which is which is profoundly challenging especially it's one of those things i can't blame anybody for moving for for trying to take it out of context and and, right and nourish themselves in another way well, and that's the thing. Even it's hard to even know what the it, it's. It's easy to say something like that, you know, and say like, "Well, why didn't they understand? They, if only they had been more patient. If only they had been more." No, I'm just well, no, I'm no. Just I'm not comparing the Lembus bread. No, dude. I'm not saying you're saying that, but I'm saying just as human beings, right? You're gonna hear that and you're like, "Oh, that makes sense." Yeah. But then you're dealing with it for two hundred years, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that." Everybody starts to give up after a while. You're like, "Well, I have to do something myself." What's interesting, I think. About this psalm, so that that's the the response that's taken from John. Uh, the rest of the psalm, Psalm nineteen, that that's the psalm that begins, um, "The heavens are telling the glory of God, and all creation is shouting for joy." Yeah, don't do it. Um, but the, it, it's all about creation. Really, what Psalm nineteen is doing? There's a juxtaposition. It's, it's not a juxtaposition. It's a, it's a, it's a, come on, dude! Like you can't um, like stand it. Like, all right, go. Same no, no, no! I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, I was, now I was everybody's just busting curious. Out. Now everyone's confused. Oh, I was once in a car with a couple of bishops, and I was a first year seminarian, and uh, and so somebody said like that made that quote, and I was like, come. And so I bust out the song from the back seat, and I'm like, come dance in the forest and pee in the field, and and, and these bishops, two of them, turn around and look at me, and like, or like like I'm I'm like literally the new kid on the block, and they're like like incredulously and humorously looking at me. Praise it was like God, you got ordained at all? Uh, no, dude, this is the only work. God is good. That happens in my life is. Is, is like I'm proof that God works because, like, literally, literally, <laughs> for real. Yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> so that being said, um, I you know I was reading a commentary. There's I I call it a juxt- it's not a juxtaposition. It's a it's a um a uh, what do you call it juxtaposition? No, <laughs> that's <laughs> the opposite. But it's it's a coming together. Contradiposition? No, it, it's a coming together. Conjunction? Of, junction? <laughs> what's your function? It's a complementarity. Complementation. A com- <laughs> it's a, it's a, so you know it's been said that God wrote two books, right? The book of creation, creation and the book, and the of, book of, of His law, the book of the scriptures. Um, I was reading a commentary that talks about this psalm is trying to show that what God does in the beginning of the book of Genesis is incredibly parallel to what He does on Mount Sinai in Exodus. His giving of the creation to us speaks to the giving of the law. The giving of the law speaks to the giving of the creation. Mm. And what what you're seeing, the reason this is so applicable to our first reading, you know, if you think about it, they, they <clears throat> well, oh, how do I want to say this? The Psalms actually bring this out, I think, most clearly. Because, you know, the, the, book, the Psalms are split into five books, five major chunks. And each of those chunks, this is what we were talking about before with the narrative, each of those chunks, the five chunks, are telling a part of the story of salvation history. 
So book one is all about the Davidic kingdom and the greatness of the kingdom. And then there's one of the books is all about the exile when the kingdom tanks and then the going off into exile and the feeling of abandonment. And then book five is looking forward to God's restoration. But when you're dealing with that book that's kind of about God's abandonment or God's seeming abandonment that we don't see him, right. what the Psalms turn to is creation. Because there's this realization, okay, we don't have the temple anymore. We don't have the kingship. We don't have anything. We don't have Jerusalem. We've lost all of the things that make us us. What do we still have that speaks to us of God? Well, we still have the sun, which moves consistently across the sky. We still have the mountains. We still have the skies, the stars, the luminaries, all of these things which still speak to us of God's presence. So even if we're dealing with this period of silence on the part of God, it's never really silence because if you open your eyes to the wonder of creation, you see that God's handwriting is all over it. We have God's word regardless. So it's interesting that the church in her wisdom puts this psalm in the place of this moment when the Israelites are preparing for silence on the part of God for so long. Mm. Reminded that no creation is also his word, which is spirit and life. It is also speaking to this, and that's trustworthy. And there's wisdom in it, and it Mm. enlightens the eye, it rejoices the heart, it straightens you. We have, and we, praise be to God, as did the Israelites then, we have both. We have God's word, and we have God's word. We have God's creation, we have God's scripture, we have the law, and we have um, the created order, the created universe, all of which speak to God. And when we feel like one is silent, there's the other one to give life to us regardless. And that is kind of a beautiful correlation, I thought. You all right there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I have snot hanging from No, no, I I thought I smelled patchouli. Oh, come on, man. Dude, you're such a a hippie, dude. Come on, that was profound. It was profound. (laughs) <laughs> the ancient rabbis talking. Man. I know. I just the ancient I, rabbis weren't hippies, although they did have long hair. They did have long hair, like me, and they probably didn't bathe very often. Like me, the culture. <laughs> like me, <laughs> like, like me, like me. I'm an ancient rabbi, dude. All right, no, here's... no, no. I, I actually, I actually really agree, and I, like everything that you said was sure. like so straight down the road. And I was just imagining some people were listening, and they were like, "There goes Scott Hippie, There's Hippie out. Scott from Boulder." But know? this is the thing: is that no, this is actually an a- true ancient part of our tradition. Yeah. That, that it's easy in a contemporary age to actually discount and say, "Oh, that just is like hippie talk." Yes. Versus, because like, oh, let's get something really. Substantial like liturgy or right. or or like uh, just just hardcore dogmatics actually yeah. versus yeah. this kind of fuzzy expression. But yeah. this is I mean we have to remember that the Christ is announced in this in creation, and that's the point of scripture is that it's actually not fuzzy at all. No, that, I mean if you look at the references to the created world in scripture, I mean that is one of the clearest things the scriptures talk about. Uh, yeah, but um, <clears throat> and Saint Paul he says you should have known from the things that are. Yeah, Romans two. It's a funny thing. Atheism really didn't exist in any ancient culture or any agrarian culture. It wasn't until modernity when all of a sudden you can go to the grocery store and flip on a light switch that you have atheism. Because we w- once you're thinking about the things of creation and you're exposed to weather and nature and cold and heat, you realize that I am not in control of all of this. Yeah. I am at the mercy of the natural order and I need someone to help me through. Once we have this sanitized world in which I can control whatever temperature I want. Where I can, we're in the modernity ward? Ah, uh-huh. very good. But that's where atheism actually comes from. There's no, not that they were all Judeo-Christian, but no ancient culture was ever atheist. No culture didn't believe in something beyond themselves. That was absurd because the rain had to come from someplace. You had to pray to something to make sure the rains came and the crops grew and everything else. Creation spoke to the fact that there is a God. And that's Paul's point, like you said. It, Paul makes the case 
just from creation alone, we can know that there is a God and he is good. That's what we call natural theology, which the Catholic Church is one of the few churches that uphold that ancient theology still, that the creation speaks to God. And we can know him through it. We can't know him in his fullness. We can't deduce that there's a trinity that, that you know. Even the, even the druids don't <laughs> go that far. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say I, that. I don't know what to say that either. I just, okay. it, was, it was the first thought of my mind. Here's Dude, the thing. Okay, oh, what's the thing? I, I don't totally know what to do with First Corinthians. I know. I don't totally know. I'm, I'm moving on. Thank you for looking at your watch. <laughs> Dude, I was saying. I don't know what to do with First Corinthians, though. Help me out. Um, I, I can get to the gospel. So it, the First Corinthians reading is all about the different parts of the body. Well, yeah. and okay, here's a thought. Well, I no, have. I mean, I'm going to connect it. You, you just simmer I down. I have a thought. So you, um, the reality is, is that what we're what are we talking about? We're talking about how um, everything in the world <laughs> is actually meant and oriented towards the revelation of God. Yes. Nature. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Nature and revelation, they're, they, I mean, like, they're, they are going to reveal who God is to us on in certain and specific ways yeah. intended to the methodology in which they're going. Yes. So um, as we're going, everything fits. It's it, like one of the, the, this is one of the temptations that we have in the modern age is to, is because we went from the age of discovery scientifically to the age of mastery scientifically. I mean, freaking A, we can, uh, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say freaking a. I think freaking is okay. Uh, is okay. Um, this is the thing: is that uh, is that we can r- r- like write into the code of DNA now. I mean, like we can encode things into DNA. Like, yeah. like it's an absurd moment. And so, so what this is saying is that um, is that it's it, as we become masters, it's really easy to just discount and say. Oh, that's that's not needful anymore. You know what I mean? We can just walk past that, and oh, this is inconvenient. And mm. uh, but but in in reality, like people are always going to matter, and that every every segment of how people are relating to each other are are like radically important. Like yes. the fact that is that I'm like an ADD kind of scattered prophet of the Lord. You know, makes like for a fun podcast. It sure does make for a fun podcast. And sometimes it's really <coughs> annoying to live that. And hmm. I really don't like living like the way that I do sometimes because but and then then but there are certain crazy benefits to it all. And so like whereas like each one of us can look around and find somebody that's way better at stuff than us. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, like no, that's just the way things are. But the but the Lord loves to pour out His generous and glorious love through the poverty yeah. that we exist in, and so so it's saying like every everybody is going to do that. But the poorest parts are the ones that we surround with the greatest honor, because in fact, that's actually where the greatest glory comes from. That's the poverty of Christ. So yeah. so e- even in nature, we we actually are we're we're meant to be stewards because like. This is important. It's an, an habitation of people, yes. and 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 like it's it's a it's an environmentalism that's oriented towards saying we are all profoundly dignified and meaningful. And so so as we're talking about like how to scripture oriented, we we can have all these hierarchies of expression, but in reality, like 
we we must honor even the most poor in the midst. So that yeah. that's kind of how yeah. I see it fits into what <coughs> what what we're talking today. I mean, the, the first yeah. temple was poor, but we surround it with greater <coughs> profound honor. You know what I mean? I mean, the sorry, the second, second temple, temple right. was poor, and so we surrounded with great honor. Yeah. We we actually the, the time of tremendous struggle of two hundred years of the Lord not speaking, we surround with tremendous honor. Yes, we with the the people who are like profoundly struggling, we surround with great honor, and like that's what being a parent really means, you know? There's also the simple fact that if you're, de- I mean, this, I think it also, it all, it, it does exactly what you're saying, but it also speaks to the nature of e- ecclesiology, in the, which is the theology of the church, which is that if you're facing a dark time, if you're facing a period of seeming silence, you actually need one another. And and that's the beauty of, of one of the things I had to come to terms with when I finally understood Catholicism, which is not Protestantism, which is not rugged individualism. It is, number one, an obedience to someone, not just Jesus, but a structure that he has established, and a firm dependence and a reliance on the other brothers and sisters in Christ that are around you, even if you don't like them. Yes. And that, and that, that you know, I, I, I just always had this understanding that, no, you know, it's about me and Jesus, and then living in community with other people, that's kind of a, a, a nice side note or an afterthought. Like, if you get it with Jesus, then a great way to live that out, a nice option, is to have a community of people. But that's not what it means. It means Jesus has established, a, Jesus has a body, literally, and you make it up, and so does the guy next to you, and so does the smelly person on the other side of the pew, and all these, the person with the terrible voice in front of you, and the guy with the screaming kid, or whatever it is, all of these people, you're actually stuck in it together, and you need one another. So when it does get dark, Israel needs the rest of Israel to get through those 200 years. They need one another. God has established a body. Um, we need each other in these dark times. The church, I am 100% convinced that if the church was not as splintered as she is and arguing and bickering and airing our dirty laundry all over the world, the world would come to know Christ almost immediately. But nobody wants to come to know Christ if the people who follow Christ are a bunch of petty, bickering jerks who seem to hate each other. That actually doesn't work. I love you. I love you too, Father Peter. But part of what it's saying is that, you know, we if you feel a little bit shaken up by what you're seeing in the world, Israel, if you feel a little bit afraid, you don't know if you can do this again because you've seen what our forefathers have done. I don't know if we can make it. Well, you don't have to. You're not actually supposed to make it on your own. You actually need, we need the Dominican sisters who are praying for our ministry right now. We need, you know, the listeners off in the Ukraine, some guy building a rocket ship to pray for us so that this podcast works. We actually need all of those things or we're literally not going to make it. Come on, sing with me. Lean on oh, me. stop it. I'm not being hippie-ish today. <laughs> when you're not strong. But no, I agree. But, but, like that, I, I, that's my song <coughs> that affirms everything that you're saying. No, it's I true. know. But we think of that as this kind of nicety as Catholics. Like, let's all hold hands and get along. And <laughs> unity and we're we a body. We are one body. You know what I mean? Yep. But we think of it that way and not in the... No, it's real and it's gritty and it's crucial. Yeah, I went into Scott's is, office this morning and was like, "Can I vent to you?" And yeah. he would, like received it. It was really wonderful. It was super helpful. Yeah, but okay. So how can we do that? Why can we do this? Because of the gospel, and this is this is oh. the answer to all of these sort of problems. Now it's interesting the way that Luke begins. He ju- he does this weird jump from the beginning of chapter one of his gospel all the way Christ to chapter make four. You. Jump, jump, jump. Daddy Mac will make you. You jump, keep telling me to jump. hurry up, and then you start singing crisscross. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> All right. So, but here's the here's the logic behind the jump. He we get the very first lines of the gospel, the introduction to this um, 
profession of Jesus Christ, okay. the telling of the story, and then we jump to the first public act of Jesus, which is weird. But here's what it's doing. So he begins, Luke begins, since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of these events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those were eyewitnesses from the beginning, so too I have done this. So, so Luke is basically saying, hey, other people have still told the story of Jesus. Right. You've read the other Gospels, in other words. I'm going to tell my version of it. It's not different. It's not in conflict. I have a perspective that I'm going to give you now. It's not the first. I didn't make it up. It's been received to me by eyewitnesses, but I'm going to tell it, which I'm, I'm reading that, I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm thinking of them saying, look, we didn't write this law. We didn't make this stuff up. We are the faithful stewards of this law, which was handed to Moses. And Moses handed it on. A lot of people have dropped the ball. Some people have mishandled it. Some people have mistelled it. We're going to pick it up and we're going to give it to you, people of Israel, who were back home after an ugly, ugly period. Luke is, in a certain sense, doing the same thing. I didn't make this up. I'm not the first one to tell this. I am picking up a tradition that was handed to me for the sake of you. And Luke, ironically enough, is this minister to the Gentiles. He's not a Jew. And we don't know exactly who he, we don't know who Theophilus is. I think he's actually a high priest in Jerusalem, but we're we're not exactly sure. But it's this idea that here's this outsider picking up a tradition that he didn't make up saying, this is for your strength. This testimony is not to make, you know, we should read the gospel like (laughs) <laughs> like the people are hearing the word, the law in Ezra and Nehemiah. They're hearing it for what it is. They're realizing, whoa, this is hard stuff. And they're weeping and they're terrified. We should hear the commands of Jesus, take up your cross and follow after me. We should be tempted to weep and be terrified. But we're not because we're so used to it and it's become so comfortable. Like, oh yeah, take up your cross, love one another, blah, turn the other cheek, blah, blah, blah. If you're really hearing that stuff for the first time, you should be tempted to respond like the Israelites in Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm. You should want to weep and gnash your teeth. Mm. And the response of the gospel, gospel writers, the job of the church should be, no, this is for celebration. Mm. Get the wine, right, that we talked about last week. Get the celebratory. Get the, get the sweets, you know. This is yeah. party time, which is this weird juxtaposition because Ezra and Nehemiah are, are, are saying these words. Look, here is this law, which is incredibly difficult. Here's the punishments due to it. But this is, the, this is the thing for celebration. Similarly, we're hearing, wow, we're going to have to take up our cross and probably be crucified? And we're supposed to celebrate that? It's the same kind of thing. I don't think we feel the weight of that, though. And then Luke jumps. And really, what, what he jumps to, these first words of Jesus publicly, it's all about this concept of the Jubilee year, which is, I don't actually want to talk about the Jubilee. It's this idea of setting slaves and land and debt free, being free of all these things. And that's so important. And I, you can go back three years ago. I'm sure we talked about this in our, our first episode Agreed. on this. But the idea is Jesus saying the time of silence is over. Those 200 years where God didn't speak or seemed like he wasn't speaking He's speaking in a way that you never dreamt he was going to speak. It's not just through prophets. It's not just through clouds or fire and bushes or words on a mountain. It is through flesh and blood. The time of your captivity is over because nobody believed the captivity was over when they returned to Jerusalem, when they rebuilt the temple, when they had their land back. That wasn't the end of captivity because God's presence didn't return to them. They didn't see it. They didn't see God's presence among them. They didn't feel it. They knew they were still in the dark. Now Jesus says that period is over. It's time to be released from your fear, released from your slavery, released from your sin, released from the fear and the terror of having to follow this on, do this on your own, which is why the people in Ezra and Nehemiah's time were crying. And Jesus says, it's important that you got that. 
it's important that you read the law and realize, wow, I can't do this. And uh, Paul even says that in Romans. Right. Part of the reason for the law is so that we can realize we can't follow the law on our own. And Jesus is saying, good, now you realize you need me. Now I'm here to pick you up and to carry you. The time of the darkness, the time of blindness, the time of silence is over. Now is the time to rejoice. Which is what Ezra and Nehemiah, way before their time, already see coming. Um, Which is cool. Which is awesome. You guys, wow. Dude, you laid it out. Love you, you guys. You laid it out. Baby. All right, we'll be back next week. Laid out <laughs> We are one, one body. One body or Christ. Is that the same song? Lean on me. We are one body. My mind is blown. Blah! <laughs> Goodbye. All right, you guys chew on that. We'll see you next week. Bye.